Ladies and gentlemen, today's episode is going to be very different from usual, and I'm going to start off by making you all close your eyes and imagine the city and its aesthetic structure. You guys ready? Let's begin. In this part of the city, the eastern part, stands a structure of great historical and cultural significance. Its four sides are flanked by stone walls that shimmer in the evening sun, dominate the cityscape, and boast an elegant solidity and historic mystery. Sitting on a wide raised platform, the monument comprises an octagonal base, topped by a gilded wooden central dome, which mesmerizes people from afar with its elegance. Jerusalem's Dome of the Rock, with its rich history, holds meaning to individuals from various religious backgrounds. Traditionally, this site is believed by Muslims to have been where Prophet Muhammad ascended into heaven, whereas in Judaism, it marks the place where Abraham sacrificed his first son Isaac. One would think that this common structure would unite these Abrahamic religions, right? I mean, especially since these people of the book were able to coexist peacefully for so many years. I mean, if you don't count the Crusades and stuff, but I mean, for the most part, they were doing really well together in the same region. However, this religious shrine, along with this location, have now become the focal points for a decades-long conflict between two political entities, Israel and Palestine. Jerusalem is a city that's beauty is surpassed by its religious significance. And as I have described the Dome of the Rock, imagine the dozens of other religious structures in the city that not, are not only just as magnificent and beautiful, but hold significance to billions of people from around the world. And I know that you may be thinking that I am setting myself up to become criticized. And yes, you are 100% correct. I am talking about the Israel-Palestine conflict, the conflict that's been on the headlines of news channels for the past few months, or even years per se. It's been up to debate by political leaders, by religious leaders. It's a huge topic, and it's been like that since the 1960s. But let me tell you guys this. From interpretation of religious texts, to Zionism, to European imperialism, to democratic ideals, the complexity of this issue makes it way too difficult for me to come up with a proper, detailed, comprehensive explanation of this conflict, especially since I believe that those who should really educate individuals are those who are experts on this issue. And what I mean by experts, I mean those who've done months or even years of research on this. After all, and if you've heard the trailer or from my previous episodes, I have said this a lot, but I believe that most media sources have a political agenda and they go solely by small fragments of a larger story to tell, which will probably do more harm than good. So instead, I thought that it's important to actually just go over the three Abrahamic religions of the world, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and their connection to this holy city of Jerusalem. And instead of going into these three religions' deep history with the Crusades and the destruction of certain religious sites and then they're being rebuilt and so on and so forth, I just want to provide you guys with the essential basics and provide reasoning to how all three of these religions are connected to this one very old city. So let's begin, shall we?
Before I get to each religion's specifics and differences, I thought it probably would be best to discuss what do they actually have in common? I mean, I feel like many people have this misconception that the three religions are so different from each other. And if I'm being quite honest with you, I totally understand that. I mean, from the surface, they really do. And as a Muslim, you guys really don't understand the number of gasps of astonishment I get when I tell people that I don't trick-or-treat for Halloween, or I do not celebrate Christmas. I mean, I do not get Christmas presents. Or even when I reject a pepperoni pizza because I can't eat pork. And in all fairness, I really do not get the hype of pepperoni pizza, but that's just a whole nother discussion. However, despite that, let's go over what they all have in common. First off, these are all monotheistic religions. And what do I mean by monotheistic? Well, they all believe in one God and nobody else. I must mention, though, that Christianity is a bit more complex, as although they do believe in one God, they believe that he is made up of multiple entities, such as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And just a quick reminder, when I say God the Son, I'm referring to Jesus Christ, who is believed to be the paramount figure of Christianity whose teaching should be followed by Christians. Now, I'm not entirely sure if all branches do believe the same thing, but I have to say, especially for religions like Christianity and Islam, since both religions are so large with over three to four billion followers, some of the things I say in this podcast may not really apply to all of them. So just a quick disclaimer. Anyway, back to the podcast. Now, when addressing their one God, Muslims refer to their God as Allah, which is an Arabic term referring to God, while Jews most of the time would refer to their God as Yahweh. Now, both Jews and Christians would also just refer to their God as, well, God. Next up, these are all Abrahamic religions, and you must have heard that term before. And when they mean Abrahamic, they mean that they all descend from their one spiritual ancestor, Abraham. So he's basically this important figure in all three religions. Abraham's son, Ismail, later leads the Arabs, which form Islam, while Abraham's other son, Isaac, is sent to be the founding leader of the Jewish nation, which is where Jesus was actually born out of. They also believe in similar stories and genealogies as well. In the Islamic book of the Quran, you'll also hear stories about Mary and Jesus, or about Noah's Ark, or about Jonah and the whale. And of course, I mean, all three religions are based off of the story of Adam and Eve. It's one minor thing to note that I found really compelling, which is, although the stories are very similar, the names are actually also quite different. So, for example, while Christians may refer to um, Jesus, Muslims would use the name Isa, or how Jews would call Moses, Muslims would use the name Musa, and so on and so forth. And it can apply to other people. Like, for example, Noah, Muslims would refer to as Nu. Or Jonah, Muslims re would refer to as Eunice. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Next up, all three religions have a day of judgment. They all believe in this concept of heaven and hell. And their placement in either of them for eternity is based on their deeds and their compliance with moral responsibilities and beliefs. 
Now, also, peace is actually a really central concept in all three religions, which I'm sure is really misunderstood by many. I mean, besides from what all three religions preach, you can just see that based on their greetings. So, for example, Jews would use a term shalom aleikum, while Muslims would use assalamu alaikum, both meaning may peace be upon you. And Christians would sometimes use Pax Vibiscum, which really means the same thing. So those are the main similarities, and I am sure there are hundreds of others. But again, I did just want to stress the essential basics in this episode. But now we move on to differences, and let's start with the oldest of them all, Judaism. A religion that is so old that it can be known as the grandfather of the two most popular religions, Christianity and Islam. It is also around 4,000 years old as well. The Jewish book of worship is known as the Tanakh, or the Old Testament. The Tanakh is actually a trilogy that is made up of the Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. The Torah is the most sacred of the books, and consists of what is known as the Five Books of Moses. Thousands of years ago, after their conflicts with the Assyrians, the people who were under the kingdom of Judah, which is where the religion Judaism got its name, right, Judaism, dispersed along Europe, the Middle East, and North Africa, and formed their diaspora communities. Throughout these centuries, they most commonly faced persecutions and genocides by their neighbors, and a really huge example of that is the Holocaust. But then, during the formation of Israel in the 1940s, a lot of them reunited back to what they would call their holy land. Jews also hope for the coming of the Messiah, which is a Jewish leader which will rebuild the holy temple in Jerusalem, and bring all Jews back to their promised land, and will bring all protection to the world and end hunger, war, and suffering. They believe that when the Messiah comes, every Jew that ever lived will be resurrected. They will return to Jerusalem to be present when God creates a new heaven on earth. The Jews, of course, believe that their Messiah has still not come, as there is still inequality in this world. Judaism is also quite diverse in its background of followers from around the world, and the beliefs that they all have, from strict following of the words of the Torah to interpreting the verses differently as society evolves. We also got to talk about Shabbat, also known as Saturday, which is the seventh day of the Hebrew week and the most important day for Jews. It is believed that when God created the world, he did it in six days, and then he took rest on the seventh. So Jews really do the same. It's a day of physical and spiritual rejuvenation, Jewish law prohibits any work on Shabbat from activities such as doing business or shopping or housework or using even electricity and phones are basically discouraged, while they encourage doing things like reading and prayer. Also, Jews have a kosher diet, and we see somewhat of a similar thing in Islam when we'll talk about halal diets later on. So what foods can Jews not eat as part of their kosher diet? Well, of course, there is pork, shrimp, and shellfish, but there's actually a long list of animals in the Torah which are deemed as either clean or unclean. Next, they also have the kosher slaughter, which is known as shakita, which is where a knife must move in an uninterrupted sweep, and all the blood must be drained out. The knife must be drawn across the throat by forward or backward movements. There is a labeling system which really identifies which foods are kosher, and usually that labeling system is a U with a circle around it. And finally, you can't eat milk and meat together. So yes, that means no che um, cheeseburgers. 
Now let's move on to their place of worship, the synagogue. Every synagogue will have a rabbi, which is basically a Jewish scholar and interpreter of Jewish law that's trained. They would be the ones who conduct events like bar and bat mitzvahs, which is when a Jewish child turns 13 and becomes basically an adult, or even weddings and funerals. You'll also notice a lot of Jews wearing a kippah or a yarmulke on their heads. Since Judaism originated in the Middle East, it has always been a sign of respect to God to cover one's head. Some Jews believe that they're always in the presence of God, which is why you will see some of them always wearing a kippah on their head. If you also have seen, a lot of the more Orthodox Jews have really long curly hair on the sides of their head, and this is called a bayot. Some um, Orthodox Jews don't cut their hair because of the command in the Torah, which states, Ye shall not round the corners of your head. Now we move on to celebrations. First up, we have the High Holidays, which consist of a 10-day period typically in late September and early October, beginning with Rosh Hashanah and ending with Yom Kippur. This is a period of time when Jews try to reflect and better themselves. Rosh Hashanah is known as the Jewish New Year, filled with lots of food, rituals, and synagogue services. They would pray to be represented in the Book of Life. During the 10-day period, people perform tzedakah, or the charity, or recognize their sins with a tashilik ritual, which is a symbolic casting of sins by throwing bread into the water would be an example. On the holiest day of the Jewish year, Yom Kippur is the final day of high holidays, and it's the day of atonement. This is a somber day, which is where there's 24 hours of fasting, resting, praying, and mourning their loved ones. They end the day by having a feast or breaking their fast. Hanukkah is also an important holiday where it's also known as the Festival of Lights. It's a tradition during this time to light the candles and face them to the outside world. And you already know what's going to be eaten during these fun holidays, latkes or potato pancakes. Now we move on to Christianity, where the belief of the Son of God, Jesus, and the teachings is the central tenet. Remember how I explained about the Messiah in Judaism? Well, Christians believe that the Messiah is actually Jesus Christ. And according to the New Testament, Jesus is born to a virgin named Mary. And Jesus lives a sinless life and then willingly sacrifices himself as a substitutionary atonement for the sins of mankind. Three days later, it is believed that Jesus defeats death by resurrecting from the dead to open heaven to those who believe in him and trust him for the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus ascends to heaven, and from there, he rules and reigns with God the Father and sends the Holy Spirit to teach his followers. It is also believed that Jesus will return to this earth to judge all humans living and dead and grant either eternal life to those who put faith in him or eternal death to those who don't. And this kind of goes back to how I was talking about the Day of Judgment, where a similarity for all three religions. Christians would call the message of Jesus Christ the gospel, meaning good news. Now, when we talk about religious texts for Christians, it's definitely, as we all know, the Bible. Along with the Old Testament, Christians also believe in the New Testament, which focuses more on the teachings of Jesus. It is the second major division of the Bible. Now, let's move on to the holidays. I don't want to go too much into detail, but when it comes to the history of these holidays, we just need to understand that Easter commemorates the resurrection of Jesus, while 
Christmas simply celebrates the anniversary of Jesus' birth. Finally, I want to bring up the schisms within Christianity. I know you've all heard, especially those who aren't Christian, you guys have probably been confused by the differences between Catholic and Protestant and Orthodox. Well, here's some of the major differences. When it comes to the difference between Eastern Orthodox and then Catholicism and Protestantism, Eastern Orthodox believes that there should be more power or more importance given to God the Father, while the other two sects think that God the Son is also equally as important. And this can be seen since the Orthodox Church believes that the Holy Spirit proceeds from only God the Father, while the other two sects believe that the Holy Spirit proceeds from both God the Father and God the Son. And now remember, these three parts, right, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son, are what form the Christian Trinity. Now, the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism is that Protestants only believe in the gospel, while Catholics also believe in the traditions that have been set by the Roman Catholic Church for centuries. The origins of the separation was actually because many started to realize the corruption of the Catholic Church back when Luther would um, start a revolt. And boom, now we have two sects. Furthermore, Protestants aren't open to a pope as it contradicts statements in the Bible, while Catholics kind of see the Pope as appointed by Jesus. We move on to Islam, the fastest growing religion in the world. Islam means submission to God, and really the root meaning of Islam means peace, safety, and security. So hence, Islam is all about kind of finding peace by following God. The major belief of Islam is that Allah is the only one and only God, and Prophet Muhammad is his messenger. And as a matter of fact, this simple statement is one of the five pillars of Islam, and it's known as the Shahada. And if you say it with true intentions, okay, true intentions, you can't just forcefully convert someone, but if the person who's saying it has true intentions to convert, all they have to do is just say the Shahada, and boom, they're Muslim. The other four pillars include prayer, or it's known as Salah, which is done five times a day, with every prayer beginning with Allahu Akbar, meaning that God is great. And when they pray, they face towards the Kaaba. So, for example, in the United States, if you were to pray, you'd make sure you would pay, pray towards the east direction. The next pillar is zakat, which is basically the kind of a charitable tax on your wealth. And Muslims would provide this to the poor. The Quran emphasizes the importance of giving money to the poor and the needy as a true value of a good Muslim. The fourth pillar is Salm, which means fasting during the holy month of Ramadan. From sunrise to sunset, people who fast are prohibited from eating, drinking, and smoking. At the end of this month of Ramadan, Eid al-Fitr is celebrated where families celebrate together and feast and perform Eid prayers, and that's where we get our Christmas presents, you know? And the similar case is there for the Big Eid, known as Eid al-Adha, which is a day that commemorates the sacrifice of the goat with the story of um, Abraham and Ismail. The final pillar is the Hajj, which is a pilgrimage made to the Kaaba in Mecca. And it's mandatory to make this pilgrimage unless you cannot afford it or you're not able to go. So for many years, for since the founding of Islam, many people from all around the world would make a pilgrimage to the Kaaba. 
Then we have to talk about the Islamic holy book, the Quran. And unlike the other two religions, um, the Quran is basically known to be the dictated word of God provided to Muhammad through angel Jibril or Gabriel. The truest reading of the Quran has to be in its Arabic form because translating it into different languages can basically take away from the interpretation of the Quran. So for example, you will never find a Quran that's in English. I mean, you'll find like copies of translations and so on. But when people recite the Quran, whether it's in prayer or just out loud, it has to be in Arabic for its true interpretation. And as a matter of fact, since all three religions believe in the same God, Muslims also believe that the books like the Bible and the Torah are also books provided by Allah. But Muslims believe that whatever is said in the Quran are the most accurate words since they directly come from God. The Muslim place of worship is the mosque. And the person who leads the prayers in each mosque is known as the imam. And I like to, and I like to think about the imam as kind of like synonymous to a rabbi for Judaism or a priest in Christianity. Now, there are three major topics that have been really brought up by media or just in general that pertain to Islam. And that is the halal diet, women in Islam, and the Sunni-Shia split. So, a common controversy today is the veal that Muslim women wear to cover their hair, which is known as the hijab, and other forms include the niqab and the burqa, and many find that the hijab is to be a form of female oppression, but why do so many women really wear them then? And well, for one thing, there is culture. The hijab is a major part of many people's cultural identity, and additionally, Islam preaches modesty for not just females, but males also. Additionally, not just in their clothing, but also in their words, modesty is um, can be done through actions or desires and basically everything, to be honest. They're both advised to wear um, modest clothes, but although the Quran doesn't specifically mention that women have to wear a hijab, it is believed to have been a part of their culture, which probably was influenced heavily by the Roman neighbors. Furthermore, Islam was apparently even known to be a religion that preaches equality between women and men declaring that women have the same rights to men. Muhammad even pushed for women's education, and the Quran guarantees a woman's right to work, divorce, and own property. Next, you have the halal diet. So this is kind of the concept that's similar to kosher diet in Judaism. So, of course, there's all these, uh, there's a whole list of animals, but the biggest item that is prohibited for consumption in Islam is pork. Oh, and also blood. Alcohol is also completely prohibited since it's very bad for your health. And meat is identified as halal with, um, based on the way that the animal was slaughtered. So, for example, you would have to make sure that a knife that was very sharp was cut down through the neck as quickly as possible and all the blood was drained out. And additionally, while cutting it, you would have to say a prayer. And just like how for kosher, there was a labeled you on the packets for the food. Islam has a similar label with the Arabic word for halal on the label for certain items. So then finally, we have the Sunni-Shia split, which kind of argues who should have been the successor of Muhammad after his death. And Sunnis believe that the caliph who was voted in should be next in um, line for succession, while Shias would believe that it was his son-in-law, Ali. So therefore, and this conflict, first of all, still remains to this day.
but the origins of it are really not much about religious beliefs, but rather power. All right, so we've gone over all three Abrahamic religions. So now here's the ultimate question. We hear the similarities, we hear the differences. Why do all three religions have ties to Jerusalem? Well, first of all, let me emphasize that the conflict between Israel and Palestine is more about land rather than religion. And this has only been a conflict since the mid 20th century. But why has it been since the past more than thousand of years? that different empires and tribes and religious leaders fight over this holy land. For example, what was the purpose of the Crusades? And why did every ruler want to conquer it? Well, let's see how Jerusalem is relevant in each religion. For Christians, Jerusalem is believed to be where Jesus walked streets with a cross and was finally crucified at a place called the Calvary. Christ's tomb is supposed to be buried in the church of Holy Sepulchre, from where he resurrected, making Jerusalem a very holy site to Christians. For Muslims, as I stated before, the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem is believed to be the place where Prophet Muhammad ascended into heaven after doing the night journey from Mecca. The Dome of the Rock also contains the foundation stone, which is the holiest site for Jews. And then according to Judaism, it's a junction between heaven and earth, which is also known as the Holy of the Holies. It's also believed that the world expanded from the stone. The stone is kind of associated with many of the stories told in the Jewish Torah. And Jews don't enter the Holy of the Holies because they believe that the presence of God still exists. So instead, they pray at the Western Wall. So just think about it like this. Isn't it crazy that the small piece of land, Jerusalem, is worth so much to billions of people that it causes so much conflict? Anyway, I hope you guys understood the differences between all three religions. I know many people, although they've heard of religions and they've heard bits and pieces, probably didn't really understand the true beliefs or maybe they've only heard some of the few stereotypes. So hopefully this episode clarified a lot of that. Anyway, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. And as always, let me end with a quote. This one from St. Augustine of Hippo. Understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. I'll see you next time on Dr. Z, A World Never Mentioned.